then you can walk through life with a real, real difference. You can be different. You can affect the world. You can make a change. And whether or not that happens to be uh, as a profession choice in something like the entertainment industry, which I've chosen, or it ends up being as an educator, whatever your choice is, there's such a great assurance when you know the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? There's such a great peace. And I, I run into people all the time who ask me uh, questions who about the entertainment industry specifically and they say things like, oh, it must be this terrible place to work and everybody's so awful and evil and wicked and terrible and we read all these things, all of which are true that you read. But I'd like to say this, that for every uh, five stars who are on a show, there are about 200 people behind the scenes. And these are people with mortgages and families and cars and expectations. Uh, they're people with families. They're people with real problems, concerns, uh, cares. They ask questions. Um, they have troubles. And just like you and I, they're looking for meaning in life. They're looking to put the pieces together. So it's been a wonderful privilege. God has put me in the entertainment industry. I, I believe that with all my mind. Um, it, it was amazing how it happened and he continues to keep me there if he wants to take me out someday I'm very open to that and my wife Sharon and I have talked about that from time to time you know a lot of people uh, think the entertainment industry does not have a sensitivity to spiritual things and I think perhaps that's true but there is a story I'd like to relate to you told a gentleman by the name of Harry Cohen who created and founded Columbia Pictures and his brother Jack Big movie mogul, a typical type, right? Cigar smoking, New York, whole, everything you'd imagine. His brother Jack came to see him. He said, you know, this is many years ago. He said, you know, Cecil B. DeMille is making Bible pictures. We ought to make a Bible picture. They're making a lot of money, and we really ought to do that. And he said, I don't want to do a Bible picture. What do you know about the Bible? And he said, I know, I know a lot about the Bible. And he said, you do not. And here's $50 says, you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. Well, his brother thought about that and he said, I know the Lord's Prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. And his brother said, okay, you win. Well, that's sometimes as deep as it goes, let me tell you. Let me ask you a question here this morning. How many people here in the last year have watched a religious program on television? Okay, just stick the hands right up in the air. How about the news? Anybody watch the news? Ah, more people. Okay, how about uh, Carson or Letterman, David Letterman? Ooh, okay, all right. How about a soap opera, Dallas Dynasty? Anybody here? Ooh, not too, all right. Be honest now, come on. <laughs> how about MTV? How about MTV? Ooh, what a reaction. My goodness. How about Miami Vice? Football game? Anybody watch a football Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You know, one thing that's important to remember is that television is not inherently an evil thing. I want to make that very clear because the nature of this discussion tends to get kind of negative at times. It's not inherently evil. It can be both good and bad. The same evening that may bring you Shakespeare, Julius Caesar, you switch a channel and you can get Dallas. So you get the whole gamut, everything from Jacques Cousteau to anything imaginable. So it's not inherently evil. 
But television is our closest guide to what we are as a nation. Powerfully, it shows us what we have become and where we're going. The influence of the mass media, Malcolm Muggeridge says, the influence of the mass media upon us is constant and pervasive, and no media is more powerful than television. It would be impossible to make any assessment of contemporary society without taking television into account. Television has been called the vast wasteland by Newton Minow. It has been called chewing gum for the eyes. Okay, it's been called a lot of things. But one thing that everybody agrees on, pretty much, is that it is the single greatest educational tool the world has ever known. The question is not, is television educational? All television is educational. The question is, what is it teaching? What is it teaching? We are a nation in change. I hope you realize that today. I hope you realize that as you go through this, this really neat college, how, how unique a privilege this is. I went to Biola College for a year and a half. Well, you weren't here then. Now, come on. Come on. This wasn't here then. And then I went to Long Beach State. So, But I remember the years at the Christian college were the best years of my college life because it was a Christian environment. So you, you need to realize as you are here that the nation out there that you're going out into is a nation in change. Francis Schaeffer has said this is a post-Christian America. I hope you realize that. And I hope it affects your thinking. There was a film that opened in 1939, a movie, a lot of controversy. It was, it was uh, condemned and banned in 12 cities, including Boston. A lot of flap about it, a lot of talk, what is the nation coming to, etc. It was over one line at the end of the film. The film was Gone with the Wind. 1939. Well, 1966, 27 years later, another film opened. Same kind of flap, but the name of the film was Virginia Woolf. And every fourth word was a swear word in that film. This week, Channel 5 is airing, and they're advertising it as with no cuts. They are airing Apocalypse Now. Language and scenes intact. Virginia Woolf, when it aired on CBS, they cut 30 seconds out of it. I tell you, there's not a sentence in that film that does not have a swear or objectionable word in it. We are a nation in change. We have really changed. Today, language, nudity, immoral situations, it's all very commonplace, isn't it? You can find, particularly on cable, but you can even find it in the networks. It would be difficult for anyone looking around the world today not to reach the conclusion that something has gone very badly awry with what we continue to call Western civilization and the Christian nation. We live in a post-Christian America. What about some statistics? This is very interesting. I find this fascinating. 1948, there were only a few thousand television sets. But by 1970, 96% of all homes in America had a television set. By 1975, statistically, it was 100% of all homes. Do you realize that today, more homes have televisions than indoor plumbing? More homes have television than indoor plumbing. What about the hours of viewing? There's been a tremendous amount written on this. But the statistics all kind of gather around a couple of figures. In the two to five age bracket, they're anywhere from 33 to 54 hours a week of television viewing. In the six to 11 age bracket, it's anywhere from 25 to 30 hours a week. And in our age bracket here, it's 23 to 53 hours a week. College age on up through adults. A lot of people dispute that, but if you start to add up the figures, an hour here, an hour there, a couple hours on the weekend for a game, it can add up very, very quickly. 
In adults, I recently read that in the adult community, it is second only to sleep as the major activity of adults in America. Second only to sleep. Some people put it third, but then it's only behind work. So anyway, you do it. It's second or third as the major activity of adults in America. With children who don't work, of course, it is the second most time-consuming event in their life. 72% of people polled recently by Time magazine said they watch daily. And 36% of those people said that was the only family activity they shared together in a week. 80 to 120 million viewers watch in a given evening. And if you have something like the final episode of MASH, it had 140 million viewers. That's more than half of all adult Americans were watching at one time. Uh, the Super Bowl and the Academy Awards can get an audience as high as one billion people worldwide, particularly in the case of the Academy Awards. Well, my goodness, you know, you get an average household that has six hours and eight minutes a day of television on in it, the average household. Now, maybe you're a little different from the norm here, but that's the average in America. In Los Angeles, for instance, the number of hours. For instance, let's take NBC television in Los Angeles. To keep NBC on the air takes a little over 7,200 hours a year. 7,200 hours a year to fill the timing for NBC. Now, you go into L.A. here and you've got 13 stations and 12 to 15 cable stations. You have over 200,000 hours a year that have to be filled in programming. So what Malcolm Muggeridge has said in his excellent book, Christ and the Media, he says, television schedules expand and need filling. And previously unthought things are now possible. The unthinkable is no longer so. Well, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, it says, you're a Christian, there's supposed to be a result in your life. Therefore, be careful how you walk. It's possible as a Christian to walk through life foolishly. It's possible as a Christian to walk through life as an unwise man. And it's possible to walk through life with wisdom. If you want wisdom, you'll redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Look around you. We live in an evil world. The days are evil. You need to snatch back is the concept of redemption here. It's not a passive thing. It's reach out and grab and pull back the time. Redeem it because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to know what the will of the Lord is? One aspect is that you redeem the time that you're given. We're each only given so much time in life and then it's over. And God wants us, as part of his will, to redeem that time, to not be foolish, to be wise, not unwise, with the time that we're given. Now, if you're watching 25 to 54 hours a week of television, I don't think you're being wise with the time. I hope you agree with that. And this has nothing to do with content. This has to do with hours. This has to do with a lot of time. It could be the greatest television show of all time. It could be the most wonderful educational tool. It could be National Geographic. It could be whatever. But I think it's a foolish use of your time. But we're not alone, are we? James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to men generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. We need wisdom. We need wisdom as we walk through the world and as we walk through life. Now, some people say to me, and I get, I get a varying degree of reactions when I speak like this. Some people are 
for this and other people say, nah, come on, I just like to go home and check out. I just like to get home, I've had a hard day and I like to sit down in front of the TV and just relax, okay? Now this is the concept that television is neutral. This is the concept that it doesn't matter what you watch, you're just sort of relaxing and that's okay. What about television? What about the television set? You know something? It influences everything in the room that it's in, including you. It has to be the brightest object. Ever tried to watch television outside in the field? It's not easy. It has to be the brightest object in the room. The room has to be dark. You generally need to sit in front of it to watch it. The furniture is, <laughs> the furniture is usually arranged around it. Dad's easy chair. It's a whole industry, right? Of those things where the leg kicks up and the back goes back, you know. That's for television. What about you as you watch it? Do you realize that smell, taste, and touch are eliminated as you watch television? Your body has to be still. Your heartbeat slows down. Your brain wave slows down. Unless it's the fourth quarter. Your eyes focus. Now think about this. You're looking at me up here. You may be looking at the back of the head of the person in front of you. You may be looking over there, over there. Your eyes are moving and focusing all the time. When you look at television, you're looking at that. And you stare at that directly and your eyes focus on it. You're not thinking. You're relaxed. Heartbeat slows down. Well, it's a perfect situation to put information into your mind without even questioning. And that's exactly what happens. Images come at you, one after the other quickly, rapidly, and they go right into your mind. And you cannot control that. You cannot sit there and think, oh, wait a minute, that's not real, or that's real, no, no, that's, no, that's good, no, that's bad. You just don't do it. You sit there and you watch reality. You accept it as reality. And this is a, this is a complete shift from the historical perspective that man gained reality from the world around him. This is the first time the last 40 years, that we have been able to see secondhand processed reality. It is, a, I think, a pivotal in the history of the world. I think it is an important, important thing to realize. Looking at a forest on television is not the same as looking at it in real life. Looking at the news is not the same as reading about it in the paper. It's very different. So for the first time, we have replaced direct experiences with indirect experiences. Once an image enters your head, it stays there. Marie Wynn has written a wonderful book called The Plug-In Drug. Deals with uh, specifically uh, school children and, uh, and television. That is a great term because that's kind of what it's like. It's kind of like just sticking a socket in your head and the image goes in and you can't get it out of there. Now I can just reinforce that by saying, uh, if I mention the word, uh, as I did earlier, Carson or Letterman, none of you have met him, I don't think. But the image comes to mind, doesn't it? You'd probably recognize him if you walked in the room here. It's a second-hand image, and it was put in your mind by television. So be very careful what information you're plugging into your brain. Walk as wise men, not as unwise. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So what our minds are taking in and dwelling on is very, very, very important. You know what's happened as a result of this altering of the truth? And uh, Malcolm Muggeridge said again, and I believe it, he says, not only can the, can the television camera lie, it always lies. 
Now, that's not a devious thing. That's just the nature of it. Uh, let me give you an example. If you close one eye or cover one eye and look at the area up here, you'll notice how it flattens out. That is exactly what the television camera does. So it can deceive as far as depth and size and image. It's so common to hear somebody say when they, when they see a performer, they look so small. I didn't think they were that short, you know? Not only can the television camera lie, it always lies. So what happens is you end up with a confusion about what's true and what's not true. Television, says Joan Wilkinson with the UCLA Research Department on family issues, she says, television does not sever people from reality, it becomes their reality. It becomes their reality. The Department of Health, Education and Welfare reports this, a majority of adults nearly as high as children use television to learn how to handle specific life problems. When solving subsequent problems in their own lives, people recall how the problem was solved in the television version and often make exactly the same choices. Real common. Marcus Welby, a show many years ago about a doctor, received over 250,000 requests for medical advice. But it gets better. There's a new show on the air, and it's called L.A. Law. And it's featured on the cover of Newsweek this week. Richard Dysart, who's one of the actors, he's an actor playing a lawyer, was recently invited to chair a symposium on legal ethics at the annual meeting of the American Bar Association in New York. <laughs> Harry Hamlin, another actor on the show. An actor, right? He was walking down the street in New York, and Newsweek says that he was approached by a lawyer who praised him for his brilliant summation in a trial case and said, I'm going to use your argument the next time I deal with that issue. It's frightening. <laughs> Don't you think it's frightening? I mean, this confusion of truth, confusion of what, what is real and what is not real. A mother of three says this, what's wrong with me is that I don't know what's right and I don't know what's wrong and neither do my children. I absolutely don't, and the television just brings that to a head. You see, she realized there's right and there's wrong, and it's sometimes on and off television, but she didn't know how to deal with it. She had no biblical framework whatsoever. Psalm 19, 7 to 10 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The judgment of the Lord is true. They are more desirable than gold. As Christians, we do not operate in some floating cosmic sea where we don't know what's right and we don't know what's wrong. We know what's perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, don't we? So we have a perspective here. We don't need to be confused about these things. A Michigan State study reported that in four and five-year-olds interviewed and asked the question, would you rather have television or daddy, one-third said they'd give up daddy. One-third. Probably the greatest confusion of all is in the area of violence. Gertner and Gross, a team that works out of the Annenberg School of Communications, has said this, and they studied viewers of television who watch a lot of TV. People who watch a lot of television overestimate the number of police in the world, they overestimate their chances of personal violence within a week, and they're more afraid to go out at night than people who don't watch. Uh, sales of violent toys are up, toys that shoot and do all kinds of strange things like that. Way up, way, way up. Directly related to television shows. So in our age, night after night, television functions, I believe, as the Bible for millions and millions of Americans. You see, it's important to watch television with a critical Christian mind. This, I think, is pivotal. I think this is a key. 
It's not that it isn't there. It is there, and it's part of our society. But you must come to it with a critical Christian mind. You must come to it, and I think you must discuss it among yourselves, groups, in your dorms. There is a tension between the views of television and the views of Scripture. It's very sad to me that I have been in pastor's homes, a few, where I've seen things on the air that they would no more condone. It's just Maybe it's just turned on in the corner in some strange program, and it's just blasting out all this weird stuff. Many strong Christians who would never allow false or non-biblical teaching in the pulpit will sit through hour after hour of totally non-biblical, non-Christian actions, attitudes, lifestyles without questioning it for a minute. Without questioning it. And they never tolerate it. But you see, there's this strange ability to be able to say, that is religion over there, and that's Christianity, and this is Monday through Friday night plus the weekends. Christians often label television just as unimportant leisure activity, and by doing this, they rationalize irresponsible behavior. Rationalize irresponsible behavior. We need to redeem the time. Remember one thing, it's really, this is very important. It is show business and not show art. Show business. The business of show business is to make money. It's real easy to lose this perspective. And I must say, even working within the industry, the industry loses that perspective. The most important thing that television can do is to make money. And that influences everything that's done. Uh, for instance, the difference between a number three rated network, currently ABC, and number one, currently NBC, can be $150 million a year in revenue. There are no more commercials. They just charge a lot more for them. It costs a lot more to advertise on the Bill Cosby show than it does to advertise on something that's, you know, number 60 for the week. So ratings are very, very important, and it influences everything, and advertisers influence everything. Uh, I, have, I have heard uh, television referred to, and I think kind of a nice description. Television is the stuff that fills the time between the commercials. Television is the stuff that fills the time between the commercials. That's an advertiser's perspective. AT&T, for instance, to influence how powerful this can be. AT&T decided to do a new campaign to try and raise the possibility of people phoning, and they did this campaign called Reach Out, Reach Out and what? Touch. Reach Out and Touch. Uh, they spent $18 million on that campaign over one year. They conservatively estimate, according to the New York Times, that they had an increase in calls of $1 billion. That's a pretty good return on your money. That's great. You know? So you get this question of content, and let's look at content here. Three comments I'd like, you to, I'd like you to be aware of by the networks. One by NBC, and that is this, and I quote, Broadcasting is never the leader in this process of, of social change, nor should it be. But it can and ought to reflect the changing morals of American society. CBS. Our intent is to present programming that maintains contemporary standards of decency and good taste. ABC. ABC is proud of its record of accomplishments and will continue to mirror the social atmosphere of our time. Do you get the drift there? Social atmosphere of our time, contemporary standards of good taste and morality. That's what you see on television, isn't it? 
There's a book called The View from Sunset Boulevard written by a man named Ben Stein. Wonderful book. Because what he did, he went around and he talked to 200 different people who really control the industry, both television and film. He talked to them independent of one another and he asked them the same questions. And they didn't know he was doing this. And then he put it all together and published this book. And it's called The View from Sunset Boulevard. And he found an amazingly consistent viewpoint among these people. Now, I am not meaning to imply that there's some sort of a conspiracy. I just think that as a Christian mindset has a consistency to it, right? So does the non-Christian mindset. If you turn your back on God and you live in an immoral, godless world, there is going to be a consistency to your worldview. What did he find out? Generally, they're afraid of government. They're afraid of the police. They're not to be trusted. The military is usually viewed in a negative term. Crime. The criminal is often the victim. Morally extremely liberal. Politically very liberal. Church and religion. What did he find out about church and religion? He found out that the clergy or ministers or religious situations are often viewed as stupid, foolish, or wicked. How many times have you seen a pastor or a minister as a wicked, stupid man? And how many times, I can't remember a time seeing somebody portrayed in a positive light. Lee Rich says this, he's a major producer, he says, Is the church important in American life? No. There seems to be a resurgence of it among a lot of young people, but young people are prone to experiment with new things. I don't know anyone who goes to church. It's interesting that Mr. Rich considers religion a new thing. A woman says, religion, it's a fundamental non-issue in America. It doesn't matter. The significance of religion in these people's lives equals the importance it is given on television. None. None. Well, this matters to us as Christians. This is important to us. Romans 8, 7 says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. I don't expect anything any different from them, but I do expect to be aware of what's going on. See, it's a highly consistent viewpoint of a very small group of people who pretty much control the entertainment industry. Every decade produces its own successful type of show. In the 50s, it was the musical show, Ed Sullivan, Jackie Gleason. In the 60s, it was westerns, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Rawhide. The 70s ushered in the situation comedy. Every year in the 1970s, the number one rated show of the year was a situation comedy. For many of those, it was all in the family. The 80s ushered in the action shows and the primetime soap operas. Television's moral climate, I believe, is far more evil than the average Christian believes or accepts. Lying, cheating, stealing, disrespect for authority, disrespect for the family, rampant and permissive sex, immoral lifestyles, it's all kind of there, isn't it? And the biggest problem, I think, is that it goes completely unpunished. Actually, it goes rewarded, doesn't it? How many times have you seen a show where maybe the little kid walks into the room, mom says do something, he puts her down with a one-liner, he gets the laugh, he gets the appreciation and the praise, and he goes off with absolutely no kind of punishment for that. Um, the nighttime soap operas, Dallas and all those things, time after time after time you see this devious, conniving, evil, awful kind of lifestyle. And all these people do is get richer and more glamorous. They rarely meet with any kind of judgment for that. 
Well, situation comedy is the first successful situation comedy. Let's look at that. Let's look at that style of television here now. The first successful one was I Love Lucy, long time ago. In the 1950s and into the 60s, in the situation comedies, we saw a very moral, ordered world. We saw a stable domestic situation. We saw mom and dad and Rick and Dave, and, and we saw you know, a, a pretty traditional family lifestyle. And they laughed with each other and about each other and about their situations. And it pretty accurately reflected the spirit and the attitude of America at that time. Well, there was a gigantic shift in the 1970s. And this happened principally because of one man and one show. The show was all in the family. And the man is Norman Lear. Now, what he did with that show, and the pilot, by the way, for that show was around for three years. Nobody would touch it. It was too hot. It was too controversial. They were not interested. CBS took a chance on it. And it went right to the top of the ratings. And what he did with that is that he addressed contemporary issues. He addressed abortion, racism, prejudice, liberal politics, liberal social issues. It was the intent of that show to cast away the taboos of language and topics. Talk about anything. Discuss it. But again, the problem was that it was discussed from a very liberal viewpoint. And the, and the people in it, even Archie Bunker, he never met with any kind of judgment for his actions. He never met with any kind of consequences for his actions. He just stood there, planted his feet, and said it, and America watched. And the sad thing was, was that America laughed at him and not with him. And what happened was this huge shift, and the laughter became laughter of cynicism. And I think this comes out of the whole post-Vietnam War period, and it was a huge shift. Television moral standards had changed, but so had the nations. And most Americans, including most Christians, went just right along with it and bought it. But the big difference was, the big difference was that the shift was now to a put-down. Do you understand that? It was now a put-down. It was now laughing at somebody. It was now elevating yourself and, you know, sort of, you know, laughing at somebody. This is a joke, and that's a joke, and mom's a joke, and dad's a joke, and, and the government's a joke, and everything is cynical and negative and nasty. And you may not see that in your friendships here, but I do guarantee you, you see it in the world around us today. You see a cynical kind of an attitude. Now, MASH was probably the best example of this, because it was all cynicism and criticism, and it was all negative. You know, the whole thing was done that way. But you see, a Christian, as a Christian, we need to reject the laughter of absurdity and despair. Our hope and joy is based on the knowledge that God will work all things together for our good. That's where our hope is based. That's where our joy is based. We are, we, the non-Christian looks at the world and he's pessimistic. And he says, this is absurd. And he puts it down and he laughs at it. We, I believe, are to look at the world with real tears, with compassion for the lost world around us, not to look out there and, and, and just buy into the same old thing that everybody else is doing. Put down, absurd, despair. This is where the situation comedy has taken us, and this is where it is today, with the possible exception of The Bill Cosby Show, which is a little different, but it has not altered the face of television comedy. They are trying to clone it. 
And so far, haven't been terribly successful. Maybe it will shift around. I don't know. I don't know. MTV is another subject. MTV. MTV was created in 1981, and it was a lull in the music industry that, that bought into that right away. Sales were down, and they thought, well, let's put some visuals to some records and put it on the air and see what happens. And what happened was unbelievable. Record sales just shot up. Something like 63% of all MTV viewers say that they buy the records based on what they see on MTV. Michael Jackson is probably the greatest example of the power of MTV. Within one week of when his Thriller album went on to MTV, sales went up $400,000 a week. And it went on to be a 38 million selling album. Unbelievable. That was the first time a record company had put the kind of money into, this, into an album, into a music video. They put a million dollars into the Thriller music video. It paid off millions and millions of dollars in sales. What do we see when you watch MTV? You see a disjointed world, often with no meaning. I'm talking about the, the generality, about the norm. You see a lot of death images, a lot of definite death images. You see a lot of strange and eerie images. A lot of occult is there, a lot of occult images. You see a lot of sexual relationships, both, well, mainly immoral. You see immediacy, uncertainty, despair, and the feeling that nothing connects to anything. Why are they singing those lyrics and I'm watching this visual? They don't match. <laughs> you know something? They don't need to match if you live in an absurd, meaningless world. They don't need to match. And that's kind of the message that it's given. One thing that's really important to remember, music throughout the ages has elicited an image in people's minds. You hear a song, whatever that is, and you get an image in your mind when you hear it. When you see it, MTV gives you that image. And the power of that image, as we talked earlier, goes right in and stays there. If you're watching a song that you might have a 180 degree difference, excuse me, if you're listening to a song that you might have a 180 degree different reaction to visually and you're watching the song and some strange thing is going on, the purpose is to make you remember that strange image. And through that, ultimately, you'll buy records. You can watch MTV for hours without seeing any hope for mankind or any reference to God's existence or redemptive work. Philippians 4, 8 again. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Let's put our minds there. Let's redeem the time. Redeem our minds together with the time and have them dwell on the true, the right, the lovely, the excellent. Things worthy of praise. Action shows. Action shows. Now, for years, traditionally, the action show was based around one man who was kind of a godlike character. He somehow sort of got through it all and never got shot and never got killed, and he was okay, and, and he wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy, and sometimes he wore a white hat, and sometimes they wore black hats and westerns, but he was different from the other guys. Good always triumphed over evil. Of course, the problem with this is it was totally humanistic and it was totally universalistic. 
in that good always triumphed and man always came out on top. And the image was universally that man is going to be okay and man's going to make it if he just kind of pulls himself together. There's no moral vision or religious faith guiding the shows of the past. Well, it took a big left turn a couple of years ago with Miami Vice. NBC President Brandon Tartikoff sent a message to Stephen Bochco, who created the show, who also, by the way, no, excuse me, Stephen did not create that. Uh, he sent a message to the creator of the show and said, give me MTV Cops. MTV Cops. And that's exactly what you have. The show has, has completely changed because now there is no distinction between the good guys and the bad guys. They drive the same cars. They wear the same flashy clothes. They live in the same environment. Often they participate in the same immoral activities. They just have bigger guns. They just have bigger weapons. Uh, they, do not, uh, they do not live a life separate from the bad guys. And the life in which they live is one of despair. It is not, this is good and right, this is wrong and evil. It's a world of no absolutes and no answers. And you get one drug guy this week, and there's a hundred more out there, and it's all overwhelming, and it's all despairing, and it's, and it's flashy and loud, and uh, the pace is go, 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 and it very, very accurately reflects the attitude today in the world, I believe. Move fast, go through life with flash and style and daring, and, you know, it's all absurd anyway, so what, what difference does it make? And this is what we get there. This is what we get there. MTV. Excuse me, Miami Vice. So you have this fast, flashy, no distinction between good and bad type of a lifestyle. It, actu it accurately captures the human condition apart from God, despair and alienation. See, Crockett and Tubbs, the two guys on the show, they intimidate and manipulate to get what they want. As Christians, we're called to love and serve, right? They are indistinguishable from their world in action, appearance, and attitudes. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. Big difference. They live in despair and cynicism. We live in joy and hope. Galatians 5, 19 to 25, talks about the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What are the deeds of the flesh? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, things like these. The makeup of the content of the majority of primetime successful television comes from the deeds of the flesh, not from the fruit of the Spirit. We are a society characterized by mindlessness and materialism. Mindlessness and materialism. What you see now on TV is the chaos of a society that has lost its bearing as, and is spiritually and morally adrift. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of the Lord is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Not being conformed to the world, spirit, in theology and philosophy, which all of us would agree on. Don't be conformed in theology and philosophy, but that does not give us the right to be conformed in other areas. Lifestyle, entertainment, thought patterns. 
Francis Schaeffer says, the world is trying to escape and turning to false answers on every side, ending in despair and emptiness. If we say that we know the truth and wish to reach people with the truth of God and then live our lives following the same forms of escapism, who can blame them if they turn away? Who can blame them if they turn away? So my question to you today, can you live with a critical Christian mind? And I mean Christian mind. I don't mean critical mind. I mean critical Christian mind, you see. Look at the world around you and say, how does that fit into the perspective of Christianity? It's one thing to sit through a show and walk away and say, ooh, that was really great. It's another thing to sit through a show and say, you know, that reflects what is happening in the world. The despair, the anguish, the lack of purpose, the lack of direction without God. That's a good way to handle it. A situation. I might challenge you to that at this point. You might consider in your in your dorms, in your times together, if you're going to watch something, if you're going to look at something, then look at it with a critical Christian mind. Walk wisely in how you handle it. Let me ask you something else. When you go out together on a date, guys and girls, when you go out, guys, are you willing to reach over and turn the radio off when something comes on that shouldn't be on there? We're not just talking about television, are we? We're talking about a world attitude. If you walk into a film that everybody's going to see and you just really want to see it, and I've been in this position, believe me, both Sharon and I have sat in film where we looked at each other and said, let's get out of here. Are you willing to do that? Gentlemen, are you willing to do that to protect the ladies that you're taking out? Are you willing to do that? Ladies, are you willing to risk alienation by turning to your date and saying, I'd like to leave? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to turn the television off when it disagrees with a Christian perspective? Are you willing to at least discuss it? To at least discuss it with each other? Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Thank you.